Amen. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter to you. My name's R.D., and I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Door Creek Church, and really, really glad that you are here. Let me extend my welcome to all of you as well. If you're a, a regular attender, member of Door Creek Church, and really glad that you're here. If you're a visitor, first time here, just checking things out, we're also really, really glad that you are here. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if uh, you're somewhere in the middle or don't really care about any of that, we're glad that you're here. There are all kinds of people like that at Door Creek Church. And um, we, we really have a, a vision, a, a passion, that we think this is why we exist, that by God's grace, uh, we, we desire to be a, a Christ-centered church for all people, where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. That's our vision statement. That's what we believe in. That's what we're trying to do here day in and day out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not... Um, you know, a perfect church, I can tell you that. So if you're looking for a perfect church, I've got bad news for you. <laughs> this, is not, this is not it. And we don't have perfect programs. Uh, we don't have perfect people. And at least speaking personally, I can tell you that we don't have perfect pastors. But we do have a perfect Savior. And he's enough. And so that's what we're about here at Door Creek Church, not to make a name for ourselves, not to exalt ourselves, but to exalt Jesus because he's eternal, he's infinite, and we're finite. And to be lost in him is to be found and to be home. Jesus is different from the founder of every other major religion. And uh, I know a little bit about that because I spent time in my life exploring different religions. And if you look at most religions, what you see is this. There's a leader, there's a, a prophet, a sage who comes on the scene, and basically they say, I've come to show you how to find your way to God. And they say, here's a prayer, here's a path, here's behavior. And if you do these things, do these steps, then you possibly, maybe, if you're good enough, can see God. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he says something very, very different. Whether you believe in him or not, you agree with him or not, he says something very different from that. Jesus Christ shows up 2,000 years ago and he doesn't say, I've come to show you how to find your way to God. Jesus Christ says, I am God and I've come to find you. Now, that's very different. In one hand, it's both very wonderful. On the other hand, it's also slightly terrifying. Because what if God really came to find us? And even more to think about, what if he found us? And so that idea brings up tons of questions, which we don't have time to explore because we'd be here till next Easter. I don't think anybody wants that. But just two questions that we want to explore in our time together, and they are this. Why did Jesus have to come find us? What was so wrong with us? Why weren't we good on our own? And secondly, what does Jesus come to offer us? Why did Jesus come and find us, and what does Jesus come to to offer us. So the first question is this, why did Jesus come to find us? And it's a huge question, but a sentence answer is this, because you and I, we were lost. And we, we lost Jesus, we lost our home. See, if you know anything about the Bible, you may know the first few pages begin in this book called Genesis, where the creator God, God who has existed for all of eternity, creates a world, creates the Garden of Eden, and he places humanity there. He places Adam and Eve in this garden. But it's not just a garden like we know gardens. This garden is the home of humanity. It's where God dwells with them, and God creates Adam and Eve and says, Adam, Eve, this is your home. This is where you are to dwell with me. And there is perfect fellowship between Adam and Eve and God and between 
between themselves and between them and the earth. And there was unity and shalom and peace. And this was the home beyond all homes where there was happiness and joy and fullness and freedom. And God said, in order for this to remain a home that's good and filled with joy in my presence, and you need to obey me because if you love me, you will obey me because to obey God is joy and is life. And to disobey God brings us away from that. And yet there was a serpent who slithered upon the ground and said, actually, God's lying to you. This is actually not that great of a home. There's a better home. And if you eat from the fruit of this tree, you can experience it. Because God, as sometimes we think about, he's holding out on you. And if you just take from this tree, why would God say no? He's holding out on you. He doesn't want the best for you. Just take, just eat, and you will not die like he said you will live. You'll truly live. And so Adam and Eve, they believe the word of the serpent over the word of God. And they take and they eat from the fruit of the tree, but they don't live. They don't live. They fall into what the Bible calls sin, which is separation from God. Sin is not just making bad choices. Sin is betraying the creator God and putting the crown on our own heads when it should be on his head. And even though God had given Adam and Eve everything everything they could ever want. They made a decision, and it sounds like what my two-year-old daughters are starting to say to me. No, Daddy, go away. <laughs> we don't need you here anymore. Thanks, Dad, for everything, the first couple years, everything you did for me, literally everything with, with Mom, but we got it from here. They just closed the door so they can go play with their toys. We'll see how long that lasts. But that's what Adam and Eve, that's what they basically say to God. They take the crown from his head, and they put it on their own head. And they plunge all of humanity into exile because at the end of Genesis 3, God says you have to get out of the garden because sin cannot dwell in the holy presence of God because sin destroys us. Sin eats away at us and it cannot be in God's kingdom, in God's word. And so he blocks Adam and Eve and all of humanity from getting back to the garden. Now you may say, that's a wonderful story. I've heard that before. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's myth. I'm not sure what it has to do with me. I don't think it has anything to do with my life. And what I want to tell you is the first couple chapters of the Bible have everything to do with your life. It explains everything that's happened in your heart and in the world like nothing else can. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. He wrote most of the New Testament. He came to faith in Christ. He writes this, for as in Adam, all die. For as in Adam, all die. Now, what does he mean by that? Here's what he means. He means what happened in the garden did not stay in the garden. Right? That, that's what he means, that what happened in the garden did not actually stay in the garden. For as in Adam, all die. So now all of humanity is now tied to Adam, and there is now death attached to all of humanity. And this death does not mean just physical death. It means exile. It means separation from God. It means that all of us as people are now spiritually homeless. And we're trying to find our way back to the garden. We're trying to find our way back to God, but we can't get there on our own effort because it's now inside of us that's broken us. And when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, they plunged all of humanity into exile. Now you say, wow, are you saying that I am, <laughs> I am dark, that my heart is dark, that I'm, that I'm a sinner? Well, first I'm saying that, that, that I am. And the Bible says that all of us are. How do I, how do I know that besides just knowing my own heart? Well, I'm a parent. Yeah. <laughs> Nervous laughter. <laughs> and I have two-year-old girls, two of them. And I brought a picture of them so you could see just how innocent they are, right? <laughs> and so you could say, R.D., where did they get their good looks from? 
And no, okay, fine, it's great, no worries. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yes, their mother. Thank you. Someone said that, I think. Uh, Maisie and, and uh, Kamun, you would think, would there be, uh, if there's going to be so- someone who's innocent and pure and, and just like filled with just happiness and, and innocence, you would think it would, be, it would be two-year-old girls. But if you're a parent, you know better. And if you've ever been two, you know better. Because one of my girls' favorite words right now, they said it this morning as I was leaving, right as I was walking out the door and they were playing with these, with these books and Maisie said, Mine! One of their favorite words right now is mine. So they'll be playing at the table with crayons, you know, all kinds of crayons, and they're coloring. And then Maisie doesn't have enough crayons. Apparently 278 crayons is not enough for her to be satisfied. And so she goes over to Camille and just rips the crayons out of her hand. And it's like, my crayons, Camus, my crayons. Just take some. And I'm always like, who, did you buy these crayons? Who even gave you these crayons? Like, that's a whole other message about <laughs> stewardship. Um, <laughs> And so she just goes back to her, she goes back to her seat. And I'm always like, where did she learn that? Where did she learn? Did she see daddy eyeing mama's uh, paintbrushes when she does watercoloring and just rip them out of her hand and go, mine, mama. (laughs) And Maisie thought, daddy did it. So I should do it because daddy's always right because he's daddy. So I'm going to go take what's not mine and rip it out of Camille's hand, right? Is that where she learned it? I'm not saying I'm a perfect person, but I have not ripped paintbrushes out of my wife's hand in front of my two-year-old daughters, right? They've not ever seen me do that. So where, where did they learn how to do that? Well, they didn't learn how to do it. They're born doing it because they're born with a desire to say mine. And it's kind of cute and innocent when they're two, but it's much less so when it's no longer crayons. But it's many other things which hurt us. See, sin is not innocent, and it begins in our hearts because, like Paul says, all of us are now born in Adam, even my sweet girls. They have to be taught how to share. They have to be taught how to love. And so this is, this is the problem. But, 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 here's the good news. There's a lot of good news to come, but here's a part of it. Though we're now born in sin, though we're now born outside of the garden, God says that everyone, everyone in this room is still made in the image of God, which means we still have the residue of God inside of us. Whether we believe in him or not, every single person is made to reflect the glory, the majesty, and the beauty of God. And second to that, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, uh, Solomon writes that God has placed eternity on all of our hearts eternity on all of our hearts, not just a marriage, not just a great job, not just a lot of money, not just 20 years, right? Not just the glory days. He's placed eternity on our hearts. And so that means though, though we're blocked from the garden, there's still a God-shaped garden-sized hole in our heart that only eternity can fill. But what sin has done is both blocked our access to God, but then it's even more deceitful. It said, basically sin says, the enemy says, well, okay, so there's still a hole in your heart for God and you're still made in the image of God. I can't get rid of that. But what I can do is present to you false gods and false saviors and things that you think will satisfy you, but won't really. So hopefully you can be distracted enough that you won't actually search after God because this trinket, this toy, this person will fill God for you for the moment. But we know that it won't, and yet sometimes we keep pursuing it. So this, this story may, may, may help as an illustration. Before I got married and was finishing seminary, things were stressful, so I began to take some sleeping pills or Motrin PM, something like that, so I could sleep. And probably two weeks after that, I began to get these spots in, um, on, my, on my arm and just kind of blotches, all these things, and it just itches on my neck. And I had to wear long sleeve shirts, and I thought, oh, this is... 
oh, this is not good. And so I got the Benadryl spray, you know, the Benadryl spray where you could just get the itch away. And uh, it felt so good. But I, I smelled like a science experiment walking around. Like, <laughs> even when I see that spray in the store now, I just get like, ugh, ugh. And um, so I just, I, I sprayed my whole body. I bought so many of them. I think they were concerned about me at Walgreens. And for a little bit, it would help. And then I was like, well, it's not helping really. So I went to the doctor and he prescribed me uh, like some cream and that felt really good, even covered up, you know, the spots. But eventually the cream ran out and it was still there. So then we called the bed bug people and they came there like, you don't have bed bugs. And so this is a couple months now I'm about to get married. And I'm like, I can't have all this itching and crazy. And, and then I've, th- at some point I felt like God just reminded me as God can sometimes do so, Gardee, remember, remember, remember that you started taking these sleeping pills and like two weeks later these things showed up? And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe that's it, but sleep, is that really going to cause? And so I quit, I quit taking them and, and voila, a week later, all the spots went away. Why do I tell you that story? Because sin is a poison that we drink. It's like a sleeping pill and it's inside of us. And we think that it's outside of us, but it's not. And we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. It's down deep in us. But not, so that's the blocking of sin. That's the problem. But not only that, sin then produces things in our lives which we don't like. All, none of us, all of us know we're not perfect. I don't care what, who you say you believe in. None of you would say I'm perfect. You might say I'm not good, right? But, and I, <laughs> what? What it produces in your life are things which we don't like, and so it produced these spots on me. But then what sin does is it prescribes the wrong medicine. And so I used the spray, but that didn't actually heal me. And I used the cream, but that didn't actually help me. And I called the bed bug people, but they couldn't get rid of it because it was inside of me. It wasn't outside of me. And what the Bible says is that all of us in our hearts are idol makers, and we look to things or people besides God to fill the hole in our hearts, to cover up the spots, to make the itch go away, but it cannot do it. And so the classic examples in church, which are true examples um, that I grew up hearing in youth group all the time, were, you know, don't do drugs and, and don't, don't get drunk on alcohol. And, right, because you can get addicted to these things. And that's what sin is. Sin addicts us because we keep having to get that high, right? You keep having to be filled up with these things. And, and for a little bit, right, if, if you do get high or you do get drunk, you have this feeling of bliss or of peace. And for a moment, everything in your life seems to go away. All the pain, all the brokenness. And for a moment, you feel like the spots have gone away, that you've sprayed hard enough, but it hasn't gone away because then you wake up and you're sober, or you wake up and you're just yourself again. And so what do you have to do? You have to get high again or you have to get drunk again. And you're looking to this thing to do food only God can do for you. And so we say, okay, well, yeah, that, there are people like that. But we know that they are, yeah, okay, right. That's not me. And what the Bible says, it's not just those things. Though those things are serious. And God's grace is available for that. But you can also be your career. You can also look to your career and say, that is it. That's the high that I want. If I could just have the right career, if I could just make enough money, if I could just have enough success, if I could just feel like I matter in the business world or that I matter if I start this company, I just feel like I matter that I'm touching the face of eternity because I'm just doing something and we feel like this thing just eats all of us up. And for a while, right, it feels good. The spots go away and we, we have a good career. We have a good passion. We do make a lot of money. It's like, this is awesome. We can have all of these things, but eventually it's not quite enough money. 
And eventually, right, the career is just not what we thought it would be because if we're dedicating ourselves to our career, then we're eating time from either God or from our family or from other people and it won't satisfy us. It won't actually help us because your career and success and money are not eternal, right? And they didn't die for you. Or we look to romance or to love or to, uh, to lust and, and we put uh, people because people are made in the image of God and so we see God in them and we want them to do for us what only God can do for us. And this is part of my story where looking to other people and saying, if you just told me that you love me or just told me that you accepted me, if I could just find value in your eyes and I would be complete, then I would be whole. And we put people on these pedestals that they cannot fulfill and eventually they come crashing down because they're just people. And we, right, we ride the waves of, of what they say to us or what they don't say to us. And so if they value us and love us, then we're on a high. But if they reject us or disappoint us, then we're in the bottom of the pit because our everything was what they said to us. But they're just people. They didn't die for us. They can't fill the hole in our heart. But the Bible says you will look to them, but they can't get rid of the spots. Or maybe we look to our kids. Or maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> And we say, I want you to be successful. I want you to matter. I want you to have the best education, right? And we put all the bumper stickers on the back of our car so that our kids are the best kids ever, right? Which I think is now even a bumper sticker. And it's just this craziness in America that we just, we just have this competitive parenting and we live our lives through our kids and they become our everything and they become our idol. And it's not necessarily wrong for you to want great things for your kids, but what happens if your kids aren't as successful as you thought they could be or they get sick or something happens to them and all the dreams that you had for their life were actually your dreams. And what God says to you is actually you crowned your kid and you worshiped him or her and they became your everything. But they'll crush you if that's your everything. Or we, 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 look to, um, we look to a beautiful house or a vacation or we look to the perfect body and so we work out a lot or we look to achievement or we look to religion or, and to just morality or we look to fashion or to having the right wardrobe. The, the point is all of us are looking to something to get rid of the spots, to get rid of the ache and if we can just hope that it, it, it loves us back then maybe for a while we'll feel like we're okay. But eventually the morning always comes comes and we're just us in exile homeless as J.R.L. Tolkien said he said we are all soaked in the sense of exile all of us who are outside of the garden hopeless the door remains locked to the promised land the spots remain C.S. Lewis puts it this way he says, at present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. Here it is. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, the door shall open and we shall get in. C.S. Lewis says, one day, the door that you and I have been knocking on all of our life will open. Someday. And that someday is today. That someday is Easter. Easter is the day that the door opens at last. And the life that we always longed for, the person we always longed for, says step in and live. I've come for you. Why did Jesus come right to seek us this 
this is the great news, that, that though and what I just described, right, a feeling of, of hopelessness for the past right, 18 minutes, right, though you and I have done all of these things, though we've run from God, though we've abandoned God, though we've rebelled against God and put crowns on our own head and crowned other things besides God, God does not give up on us because the Bible does not end in Genesis chapter 3. It continues on. And God's great mission is to restore all things to Christ Jesus, people, places, things. And so it doesn't matter where you are, how far you have run. You cannot outrun the grace and the mercy of God. And that the rest of the Bible tells the great story that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's Luke 19, 10. That is the mission of Jesus. He came to seek and to save us. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the Son of Man is Jesus. It's Jesus. It came to, so, so why? The first question, why did he come to seek us? Because we never could have found our way home unless he left his home. We never could have found our way back to him unless, because we weren't looking for him. Dead people can't find their way to life. And so he came and he sought us and he found us, but he didn't just find us and say, oh, there you are, hi. No, he came to seek and he came to save us. Now, what does it mean that he saved us? What does that, what does that mean, salvation? Well, that's our second and our final question. What has Jesus Christ come to offer us? And he's come to offer us a way home. He's come to offer us what Adam and Eve knew for but a moment in the garden, communion with God. What our souls were built for, God himself, he comes as God to offer that to us. He comes to offer us joy. He comes to offer us forgiveness. He comes to offer us life. He comes to offer us a way to get the spots out. And more than offering us a program or a plan or steps or do this or do that, he comes to offer us himself. And he says, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the joy. I am the one to whom you've been knocking on all of your life, and here I am. And actually, I'm the one who opened the door. And I stand before you now. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, I read the first part earlier. This will be the second part and the much better part. <laughs> For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Hallelujah. For as in Adam all die, all are in exile, all of us are homeless, so in Christ all will be made alive, all will be raised, all will be resurrected, all of us now have hope that Jesus Christ is greater than death. Because when Jesus died, death died. Jesus didn't die. He's still alive. He is still alive. All this happens through grace. Though you and I, we place ourselves in Adam, we don't have the power to place ourselves in Christ. Only God, by his grace and his mercy, can do that. Only he can place us in Christ. Only he can remove the stain. Only he can get the spots out. Only he can do that. And by his grace and his mercy, he does that. He does that by moving us from the line of Adam and placing us in the line of Christ so that whatever is true of Christ is now true of us. Now this illustration may, may be helpful. Imagine, imagine a string of mountain climbers and they're climbing up a mountain, one after the other after the other vertically and they're all attached to a rope. They're all attached to one rope and all of a sudden the climber at the very bottom falls off and drops into the abyss. And what then happens after that? The climber right above him, he falls off and like dominoes they fall, 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 all pulling each other down, down, further, faster, until the last man remains. And he has a choice. He can either say, this is gonna hurt really bad, so I'm just gonna fall too, or he can hold on. 
And so with all of his power and all of his strength, he holds on and he bears the weight of all the fallenness of those who are beneath him. And the rope constricts against him and almost suffocates him and it shreds his skin, but he holds on. But he doesn't just hold on, he then begins to rise. And because he rises, all those who have fallen beneath him can begin to get their footing again. See, Adam was the one who fell first. And when he fell, all of us were attached to him by a rope, but by much more than a rope, by our hearts. And you and I, we also fell and fell and fell. And so we needed someone who was like us in every way, who was attached to us, who was human, but was not without sin, who had not fallen. And Jesus Christ is that man. He's the last man on the mountain. He's the one who remains. He's the one who remains steady. He became like us in every way. This is what Hebrews 2 says about this. Since the children, that's you and I, humans, since we have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, the one who deceived Adam and Eve and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement, might make sacrifice for the sins of the people. This Jesus Christ becomes like us in every single way to identify us, to become human like us, but he remains on the mountain and on the cross of Jesus Christ, right? He doesn't just get ropes around him, he gets nails. And in his blood, there is healing because Jesus is the one who really drinks the sleeping pill, right? He's the one who drinks the poison of sin, and he lets all the spots and all the blotches and all the darkness and all the evil just cover his whole body. And then on the cross, he exhausts it so it has no more power over us. That's what Jesus does for us. And so how do, how do we receive this? How do we, how do we get this? And oftentimes people say, well, you have to obviously do something to get it. You have to, you have to just make this happen, right? If you're good enough, if you're great enough, if you're moral enough, if you go to church enough, then you can receive being placed in Christ. And yet the Bible says that all you need to receive the grace of Jesus is need. All you need is desperation. All you need is surrender. And to realize it's not great to be strong. It's great to be weak and strong in Christ. That is what we want. That is what we need. And that, that is the story of so many people's lives here at Door Creek Church, that Christ has met us and saved us and rescued us. And I am not here preaching on Easter Sunday because I'm perfect. I'm here preaching on Easter Sunday because I know the one who is perfect. Because I know the one who's seen me to the very bottom and love me to the skies. The one who's seen everything that RD has ever done, ever will do, ever could do, and said, I'm gonna stay on the mountain, I'm gonna stay on the cross. So that you no longer have to be in Adam, you can be in Christ, it's all his gift, it's all his love. He loves you because he loves you. You didn't do anything to earn his love. He didn't, he didn't have to do any of this, but he wanted to. He didn't have to come for you, but he wanted to come for you. He desires to come for you. And, and, and here's the deal. If, if this, is, this is the beautiful part of Easter, when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, you and I can rise with him. We can rise as new people. It's not Easter. The point of Easter is not that we get to go to heaven on the clouds one day. If you look up Google, that's what Easter is, right? Clouds and scary Jesus on clouds and gold streets and all these things. But that's not the point of, of Easter. The point of Easter is not that we get to go to the other side. The point of Easter is that the other side has come here. 
that the other side has come to this side, that the kingdom of heaven has come on earth, that heaven has broken into right now. So you and I now can live different lives. You and I can now have different power. So what's dead in us? What's broken in us? The things that we don't even like about ourselves, the resurrecting waters of Jesus Christ can wash over us and raise us right now to new life, to spiritual life, so we can actually live differently and love differently and serve differently. You don't have to be selfish anymore. You can be generous. You don't have to be angry anymore. You can be kind. You don't have to, you don't have to be the things you don't want to be about yourself. Not that you're going to be perfect because we're not fully home yet, but even now through the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you so that you can know in the storm, and the storm will come, because the Bible never says God will not give you more than you can handle. The Bible basically says God will, (laughs) so that in your inability to handle it, you would look to the anchor. You would look to the one who can hold you in the storm, the one who rose from the dead. Easter is about how the future has come right into the present, and you and I can now live as people of the future, even in a world that is still broken. This may, this may help. Um, do you remember a month ago when it was like 65 degrees in February on that Saturday? You remember that day? And everybody was freaking out and people were basically nude walking around. And it's like, what? What are you doing? Like, it's not that warm yet. And people are just so happy. They're tears of joy. And we have, you know, twin girls. And so they were outside. And we were just like, you stay outside all day and we'll be inside. And watching, you know, kind of. And... Uh, <laughs> And so it was just such joy. And so it was like 65 degrees in the heart of winter. Like, this is unbelievable. Now, what happened that day? Had spring come? You would say if you're from us, no. (laughs) But what had come? Uh, A foretaste of spring. A taste of spring. It was almost as if you might say that the future had come right into the present. And spring came in and said, I'm here. I'm not fully here yet, but winter's thaw is coming, and spring's fullness is coming. Easter is a 65-degree day in February in Wisconsin. (laughs) It's a cause for great celebration and great joy and great amazement because we know death has been defeated, and King Jesus has the victory. It's not full yet. It's not complete yet, but Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He's the pioneer that what happened to him will happen to all of us. We know that, that we believe in that. And so now you and I can live as people of that reality, spring people, even though the world is still filled with winter, right? It's still winter. It just snowed this past week, right? Oh, unbelievable. And so we still have to be ready for the battle. Life is still hard and difficult. We're still going to struggle and sin and have issues and have difficulty in all kinds of things. But the point is that we have a new power because Jesus rules and reigns and his resurrecting water can come into your life right now. And just like Lake Monona and Lake Mendota begin to just melt with just the light and the glory of the sun, so you and I and all the hardness and all the deadness and all the things that that we don't want to be anymore, those can begin to melt as the son of God's love and his resurrecting power washes over us as we meet him in the word, as we pray to him, as we live for him. This is what Jesus has accomplished for us in the cross and in the resurrection. It's not about how we get to go to heaven one day. It's about how heaven has now come here and we can live as people of the future, even now with the great hope that one day the trumpet will sound and that one day this world will actually become our home. And just as Adam and Eve were meant to dwell with God in the garden, The Bible says one day God's going to make the whole earth into a garden of Eden again. And you and I will dwell with God and see him face to face. But even now we can taste that. Because through the resurrection of Jesus, spring has come.
and we can begin to have an appetizer of the meal he's prepared for us. And as a Christian, that's what we want to proclaim to the world. Come and eat, and one day you will be filled. I'll finish with this. Um, The other day, I was reading my Bible at the table in our kitchen, which doesn't happen a lot because our house is crazy, and the girls went within three minutes from killing each other to laughing with each other to hugging each other, and I'm reading a verse, you know, every 10 minutes, and, and it's like this, it's, oh, get over it, you know, it's just like reading the Bible, the peace of the Spirit, and I'm just like shutting the Bible, and, and so Camille comes up to me, and I'm like, I'm reading the Bible now, you know, daughter who God gave me, and <laughs> so she comes up to me, and she's like, hi, Daddy. I'm like, yes, yes, hello. She's like, she's like, book. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is a book. And I go, this is the Bible. And she goes, Bible. Now, I don't know why she said it like she was from Mississippi, but (laughs) she did. The girl has Southern in her yet, right? I love it. And I said, this this Bible is about Jesus. And she said, she said, Jesus. And it was the first time that I'd ever heard her say his name. And I mean, I cry at commercials, so you can imagine... (laughs) Right, you can imagine my state of mind in that moment. And I just thought, I thought, yeah, bug Jesus. And you don't even know him yet. You don't even, you don't even know him yet. And I just sat there in that moment, I prayed as my wife and I, we prayed for our girls and I just thought, but I, I hope, I pray that you do, that you know him. That you really know him, not just know about him, not just attend church and be like, oh, what a wonderful man. That's kind of helpful for this and this. But that, that you know him, that you love him, how beautiful he is, how precious he is, how worthy he is, how glorious he is, how he's worth everything that you could ever do for him. Because though you are lost, sweet girl, he came to seek and to save you because your mom and dad were lost and he came to seek and to save us. And that you might not have to look to anything else, a man, a career, right, your body for satisfaction or fulfillment because Jesus Christ is the only only lover that you need, the only husband that you truly need, the only father that you truly need. He's a lot better dad than I could ever be to you. Would you know him? Would you trust him? Would your life be lived for him? And then one day, sweet, sweet Camille could say when she's held by the hands that bore nails for her, right, dad, I am no longer lost. I'm home. I'm home at last. And that's my prayer for you. And it's not just my prayer for you, it's Jesus' prayer for you as well. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Happy Easter. Let me pray. Our Father, We thank you that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that you've provided a way home. All of us who are prodigal, all of us who've left the home, God, you came and found us. And I pray for many here who know you that we would come to know you more. We would come to love you more. We would come to serve you more. And I pray for many of us here, many of us here who just are living in the world that, that we're good, that, that we might know something better than being good. And it's called being forgiven. And that, Father, wherever we are, Our sin is not greater than your grace. And even now, through your resurrection, we can be raised. Oh, Father, we thank you for your Son who lived, died, and rose for us all. In the name of our risen, reigning, and returning Savior, and all God's people said, amen.